You know, we're doing this series through the book of Romans uh, called Broken and Beloved. And what we've been saying is the gospel basically says just that about you. Like, if you want to know the secret about yourself, more it transcends personality types, it transcends career aspirations, it transcends current relational status. The secret about yourself is what Romans says, which is the gospel, that you are far more broken than you even know, more so than you can do anything about by your sin, and that... Your brokenness has been no barrier to God's love for you. That he saw that brokenness and moved near you in his son, and you were beloved. Your, your brokenness was no barrier to the love of God, that you are both broken and beloved if you're in Jesus Christ. And so we're getting that part of Romans that's a little less depressing. Uh, Will and Scott got us there a little bit, and the good news of justification. And now we're moving into what, what we could call the good news of sanctification. Justification is what God has done through his son, To make you right with himself, you did nothing. All you did was simply bring your sin to the cross and with open hands receive Christ by faith. And all that he is for you and all that he's done for you, it is a free, sheer gift of God's grace that you are forgiven fully and finally and eternally. And you did nothing to contribute to it. Sanctification in Romans 6, 7, and 8 is a little bit of a different deal. It's still purely the work of God's grace. And also we are participants in it. And what I want to do, kind of the way I want to frame the next three weeks, we're going to have our special RF next week, but the next three times I preach, Romans 6, Romans 7, Romans 8, we're going to frame it like this. Christ in your past, Christ in your present struggle with sin, and Christ in your future. And tonight we get to talk about the good news about Christ in your past. And to do that, we're going to use Taylor Swift lyrics as we've been doing every week. And tonight is simply one of my, one of my personal favorites, You Belong With Me. And here's what she says. She says, but she wears short skirts. I wear t-shirts. She's cheer captain, and I'm in the bleachers, dreaming about the day when you wake up and find that what you're looking for has been here the whole time. (laughs) If you could see that I'm the one who understands you, been here all along, so why can't you see you belong with me? You belong with me. And what we're looking at tonight in Romans 6, we're gonna, can we segue from that to Romans 6? We're going to. <laughs> is this idea of what uh, theologians call a union with Christ. That if you are in Christ, if you believe in him, if you know him, if you are loved by him, you truly, in, in, in ways that are far deeper, we're going to explore tonight, far deeper than you know, belong to him and he to you. 
What is true about it, this is a radical thing that a lot of you probably have never even heard before, and I really want to spend some time unpacking it, that what Romans 6 says is that what is true about Christ and his life, death, and resurrection is now true about you. And that growth in the Christian life totally flows from that deep, profound truth that you are already changed, whether you realize it or not. And so that's what we're going to do. Let's read Romans 6, 1 to 14. Uh, I'm going to read it for you. It's from the ESV. It's in your handout. Uh, here's what Paul writes. So we're just going to read, yeah, the first 14 verses and kind of deal with the whole, but really focused on these first 14 verses. So let me read it for us, starting in verse 1. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved, that's a key idea here, to sin. For one who has died has been set free from sin. Now if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. We know that Christ being raised from the dead will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death he died, he died to sin once for all, but the life he lives, he lives to God. So you must also consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal bodies to make you obey their passions. Do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as instruments for righteousness. For sin will have no dominion over you, since you are not under law, but under grace. Let me pray for us, and then we're going to unpack what Paul is saying to us tonight. Let's pray first. Lord, we pray uh, that your word would lead us to the word, Jesus Christ. That we might see him, Lord Jesus, that you might reveal yourself in wonderful and beautiful and full ways to us tonight. And that we might see for those of us who know him and are in him, that we might see ourselves in him tonight. Father, that we might see the change that has already taken place just because we belong to your son, Jesus. And Jesus, would you be pleased to show up in our midst, to pour out your spirit without measure, to guide us into all truth, and to radically change us by the truth of your grace. We pray these things in your name, Lord Christ. Amen. So a few weekends ago, um, my wife and I, Alyssa, College football had winded, had wound down for the day, and we were looking for something to watch on TV, and we were just kind of flipping around, and one of our favorite movies came in, this movie Bridesmaids. It's one of, one of the movies that, without fail, when we watch it, we just laugh. Both of us laugh very hard. We don't often have movies like that where it works perfectly. But we're watching it, just kind of on cable, and uh, the scene that I always, that kind of, it's a funny movie, but it's got some poignant moments. And the scene that always gets me is that scene where Kristen Wiig has made that kind of a mistake you know, she's gone and um, spent the night with Chris O'Dowd. Not a great choice. 
But he, in this kind of sweet moment, he, you know, she used to have this bakery. She's now trying to find her way in life. But she used to have this bakery. and was an incredible, you know, just baker. And so he thinks, okay, I'm going to go to the store. I'm going to buy all the stuff to make cupcakes. And, and she's going to kind of, I'm going to lead her into the kitchen. And she's going to kind of make, we're going to make cupcakes together. And there's this moment where she just totally shuts down. And in this kind of cold, angry way says, what are you doing? You don't even know me. You don't know me at all. Why would you do something like this? And then she leaves. And it's a moment for me where I watch it, where I think this. We all have a past. We all have things in our past, either that we've done or that have been done to us, that sort of haunt our present. Sometimes it is. It's choices we've made. Sometimes it's the sad parts of life. Like in her case in the movie, she's gone through this painful divorce. We don't know why. And the thought of doing anything related to what she used to do is just heartbreaking to her. But it's clear that we all have this past. That's why William Faulkner famously said, the past is never dead. It's not even past. And this is where I want to start tonight. I really want to say just two things tonight that are totally related. And the second point is the good news. But first, I want you to receive the bad news. And the bad news of Romans 6 is simply this, is that you have a past. You and I, we have a past. And typically what what I mean by that is three things. The first thing I mean is this, is that you have mistakes that you've made. That part of your past is things that you have done, things, choices you have made that in some ways not only have shaped you, but in many ways you think about maybe every day. This really came home to me this weekend. I don't know if you saw this, if you're watching football at all, but if you if you weren't, so Oklahoma State had this homecoming parade. I don't know if you saw this, but this, this woman, she had too much to drink, drove her car into the back section of the parade. Four people, including a two-year-old, were killed, if I have the numbers right. I think like 20 or more were just totally injured. And the thought I had was, she lived. She's in jail. But how do you recover from something like that? Like, what is her life going to look like now? That's something that, that has, her past is going to, that moment is going to forever shape the rest of her life. And for most of us, it's not not that dramatic. Maybe some of you have something that dramatic. But for most of us, it's nothing as dramatic as that. But you still have things, and I have things in, in, in our pasts, choices we've made, mistakes we've made, sinful choices that we've made, that really do, we think about a lot, we carry with us. For me, you know, this past week, uh, right before fall break, I got a chance to go to this pastor's retreat. And there was this guy there that I hadn't seen in probably, oh man, like five or six years. And just seeing him reminded me of, of probably the most shameful thing that I've ever done. That I've only told maybe a handful of people about. And just being in this presence, that just kept coming to mind. I just kept thinking about this moment. That with all of my might, I wish I could go back and like, and sometimes I pretend like it didn't happen and it totally did happen. And there's a sense in which you have things like that, too. We have these, these moments, these places where we're reminded of the things we've done. That's why David, if you read through the Psalms, he's got this, in Psalm 25, he has this memory. He says, Lord, remember not the sins of my youth. What's he saying? He's Lord, Lord, please don't hold my past against me. So you, you have a past. Part of that past includes choices, mistakes, bad choices that you made. But another part of it includes What's happened to us? So not only have we kind of done things or left things undone, things have been done to us. Things have happened in the course of our lives that are significant. Dreams have been crushed. Injuries have been life 
life-altering injuries have happened. Sudden deaths have happened that quickly in a minute kind of change us, that sort of shape and, 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 and point us in directions, some of which are sad and devastating. Um, you know, I like the way that, that David Jones, one of my friends, he's a pastor out in California, but he likes to say that we, you know, keeping this tension in mind, that we are, on the one hand, we are all villains. We do things that we shouldn't do. We've, if you've been with us in Romans, you know that. We're also victims. Every single one of us is both victim and villain. We've done things and things have happened to us. For some of you, that has included abuse. You know, one of my best friends in the world, in the conversation that we've been having in the last really couple of years, sort of confided in me, and he said, basically... I didn't even remember my abuse until I got into counseling. He got into counseling through a certain struggle, and as he's in counseling, he started having these memories come back to him. And it was memories of him being really, really young and someone very close to their family absolutely taking disgusting advantage of him. And as he remembered it, he continued going to counseling and working through it, but it's a huge part of what has shaped his current struggles is beginning to remember the abuse that happened to him. So we have this past. On the one hand, things we've done, but on the one hand, things that have happened to us. But then there's this third part that I think really begins to get us into Romans 6 that is a huge part of just who we are as human beings. And this third part is that sometimes when we think about our past, it's this feeling like we will always be who, we, who we've always been. In other words, some of you, if you're like me, when you think about your past, you think, I am doomed, I am bound to repeat either the mistakes and sins of my family and parents or the screwed up things that I think and say and do. I am stuck in these patterns forever. Who I've been is who I will always be. And so when we come to think about this idea of change, one of the things we have to sort of say from the outset is a lot of us are cynical about change. Can I really change? Does anyone ever really change or are we sort of doomed to repeat these same sin patterns and cycles that we've seen, you know, that we've lived in or our families have lived in forever. And I think this is what begins to get us into Romans 6, is it seems to be part of, you know, if you look at verse 1, part of what Paul is doing here is he's answering this kind of line of thinking that basically says something along these lines, that we are so screwed up, <coughs> real change isn't actually possible. And doesn't that actually magnify God's grace? Can't we just sort of get, stay stuck in our <laughs> sin, not really change, and God is going to continue to forgive and forgive and forgive. And that actually is going to somehow magnify and make more beautiful the grace of God. And Paul, of course, says, no, that's not how this thing works. But sometimes I think when we think about who he's answering, we can too quickly move to, of course, that's not how it works. But before we do that, let me just, can we just relate to them a little bit? Before you judge that line of thinking that can anyone really change, doesn't it magnify God's grace more if we just don't really change but God keeps forgiving us? If you can't relate to that, just think with me for a second because I think you can. Have you never had to ask forgiveness for the same sin a thousand times? Is that not part of your story? It's certainly part of mine. That I just seems like I keep coming to Jesus and saying, Lord, forgive me. I did it again. Lord, would you please forgive me? Have you ever felt like if when you look at your heart and think to yourself, I'm not sure I'm a Christian. Because if I was a Christian, it seems like I would have changed a lot faster than I'm changing. And there's a part of me that it seems like has actually gotten worse since I've become a Christian. Like, I can tell you there are parts of my life, struggles in my life, that seem to have gotten worse. I've been a Christian almost 20 years now. And it seems like I struggle in certain areas more than I used to. 
Can you relate to that at all? Wouldn't it be easier to say, we give up. We're not going to change. We're going to quit fighting it. The Lord's just going to love us, and somehow it's just going to be okay. And that's not exactly where Paul leaves us. And, and Paul's answer is actually kind of shocking, because I think we would, when it comes to change, here's what I think we expect Paul to say. And this is how most of us practically live. We expect Paul to say, you can do it. Hang in there, buddy. Keep fighting. Keep fighting the good fight. Keep working. Just keep working it out. And then, and then, and then, change is going to happen. And like, I don't, so we're going to get to parts of Romans where he does say things along that line, where he does encourage us. If you read his letters, you know there, there are places he gets to where he says that, but not without saying something way more radical first. And here's what he says. It's way more radical. As he doesn't say, you can do it, you can change. Here's what he says. If you're in Christ, you are already changed. Something so profound has happened to you. You have been finally and forever already changed. And the Christian life is about realizing and living that change out more and more and more and more. Let's work this out for a little bit together. So here's, here's the good news tonight. You have a past. Here's the good news. You are not defined by your past. You are defined instead by Christ's past. Your past does not define you anymore. If you're in Christ Jesus, his past, his life, his death, his resurrection, that's your story. That's you. Now let's work that out for a little bit together. Here's this idea. So years ago, John Stott in the 70s preached this series. Still, I've always wanted to do it. I've never done it before. He preached this series in London where it was essentially he just called it, he didn't call it, it something better than this, but it was essentially this idea of the propositions of Jesus. And what he meant by is when you read through Paul's, what he meant by that was when you read through Paul's letters, you see all these propositions, uh, prepositions tied to Jesus. So we think about like Christ was one of them. You're called, if you're a Christian, you're called to be like Jesus, to live like him, to love like him, to forgive like him. Another one he says is with Christ. If you're a Christian, you have the promise that until the ends of the earth, until the end of your life, and through eternity, Christ will be with you. He is for you. We have, you know, this idea of you're supposed to live your life to Christ. That everything you do from, you know, the minute you wake up in the morning to the moment you lay here in bed is supposed to be done to the glory of Jesus. But one that we miss all the time is the one that Paul is like highlighting and zooming in on here. That is in some ways more foundational and more radical. And here's what he's, here's what it is. Is that before any of that happens, like Christ, with Christ, to Christ, before any of that can happen, here's the reality of you if you're a Christian. In Christ. You are in Christ Jesus. You have been, we don't have words for it. You have been so knit together. Your life and Christ's life are so interwoven. Divorce and and ripping that apart is not possible. You so belong to him and he so belongs to you that you are eternally, inseparably united. That's why he says, if you're looking at it, he says... In verse 3, we've been baptized into Christ. And then in verse 11, he says, if you look at it, alive, made alive to God in Christ Jesus. And this is the first thing you've got to see is that there's something that's happened to you that is profound here. And that's what it is. is. You're not defined by your past, but you're defined by Christ's past. You, in a sense, died with him. You were buried with him. 
You rose again from the grave with him. And here's what Paul is saying. What is true about Jesus is now true about you. So much so that when God looks upon you, he sees his son in the same way that when he looked upon his son on the cross and Jesus became this sinner who had never sinned. He became this sinner in our place so that when he looked upon Jesus, he took the punishment for our sin that we might have the life that he alone deserves. And and the word that we sometimes can come close to is this idea of solidarity. Because here's the reality. is It's hard for us as individualists who've grown up in America and been taught kind of our whole lives, or it's just been in the water that we drink, that you are, you are responsible for yourself, and you're not really connected to anybody. So if we lived in Paul's time, there was a sense, even family and community that was way stronger, where if something happened to the parents, it also, in a sense, happened to the children. Where if something happened to the town, it, in a sense, happened to the citizens of the town. That's not really how we think, and yet we still long for that. We long for friends who, when we go through a breakup, They are so sad with us. It's as if they went through the breakup with us. We long for friends when we get good news that we got the internship for the summer, that they are so excited for us that it's as if they got the good news of an internship. And that's the idea of solidarity. And what Paul is saying is we have something more in Jesus, much more than solidarity. We have what we call union, that Jesus became a sinner without ever sinning, and died this shameful death on a cross, so that by his death it might be truly said of us that the lives that we have lived before Christ, completely to sin, not at all to God, that those we have, that we're, we're dead. We have died to sin. And we've been made alive in Christ Jesus. But the point that Paul is making is that it's not the change that affects the union. It's not like you change and start living like you're dead to sin and then like you're alive to God and then Jesus receives and accepts you as the opposite. It's Jesus dying for you while you're yet a sinner, coming near to you, drawing you, drawing you to himself, uniting, uniting you to him, saying, you are mine, I am yours. My life for your life, my death for your death. We are inseparably forever united. It's the union that affects the change. It's the oneness, it's the coming together that begins to transform all of your life. Listen, this is what every Disney story has ever been about. Think about it with me for a second. So think about Cinderella slaving away, and then she meets the prince. And then all of his riches, all of his freedom, all of his luxuries, the moment he takes her to be with him, suddenly become hers. Think about Beast. Here's Beast, stuck in his beastliness. Here comes Belle. This is, doesn't work perfectly because he sort of takes her captive. <laughs> Don't mind that part. But through her love, through her kiss, his beastliness is transformed and he becomes human again. Or think about Elsa. Isolated, full of shame. Self-destructive. And here comes Anna, full of this sacrificial love. And through this sacrificial love, she becomes healed. She becomes whole again. But here's the point. The union, the oneness, the solidarity, the pursuit, the lopsided, one-sided pursuit, one-way love that says, you are mine. I know who you are. I know the things that you've done, and I love you. 
and I came for you. And I'm, I came to be faithful in the places you've never been faithful. And I came to be punished in the places you deserve to be punished. And I came for you. And it's the union, it's the oneness, it's the solidarity, it's the relationship that begins to affect the change. And this is where Paul says in verse 11, this is sort of the big point tonight. He says, consider yourselves. This is the idea, consider. Here's what he's saying. Do you see yourselves like that? Listen, when we begin to talk about change, the, the place we have to start is simply with this. How do you see yourself? Do you see yourself who is someone trying to change so that Jesus will love you? Or do you see yourself as someone who has already, because you belong to Jesus Christ, been finally and forever changed in this one moment where you died with Christ and were made alive to him forever? Nothing can change it. And that because of that, every part of your life is going to change, whether you want it to or not. And that's a huge difference. How do you see yourself? Um, And this isn't... Let me be clear. Like, I think sometimes we think this is positive thinking or like wish fulfillment. I had a friend growing up whose parent they had a parent that was really into that stuff, and literally he made a vision board. And the vision board was like, "Here, what do you want for your life?" And it was funny. I was all material things. So it was like a hot wife, a nice house, a cool job, a nice car, a beach house, and literally put pictures of all these things on this board. It was called a vision board. And the idea was if you just Put these things before you every day. You will get them. You will receive them. You will orient your life toward these things, and it will make wonderful things happen. And I think sometimes that's how we think about Jesus. If we just put him before us, we will like just sort of get there. We'll just sort of be there. And that's not what Paul is saying. He's saying the thing that you need the most has already happened. The power of sin has already been broken in your life. Jesus Christ has already done what you can't do, and he's already taken you to himself. I kept thinking about it as I was writing this. I kept thinking about Harry Potter. Think about, think about Harry Potter. It's not like the message of Harry Potter isn't, Harry, if you just work on honing your magical skills, and if you just gather the right friends to make this army, then you'll defeat Voldemort. That's not the story of Harry Potter. The story of Harry Potter is, Harry, something so profound is already true about you. That your life, the direction of your life is already set and Voldemort in some sense is already defeated because something is so profoundly true about you already that it's inevitably begun, is going to come to reality. And that's exactly what keeps me interested in, in I'm not going to lie, the movies. I haven't done the books. Forgive me for that. <laughs> Jesus died for that sin, so I'm good. <laughs> and then he says two things. He says, here's what you have to understand. Consider what? Consider these two things. And we could go so much longer here. But consider these two things. One, you already died to your sin with Christ. Paul gets into the legal idea. So, you know, if you've ever been around a death and dealt with, we, uh, Alyssa's dad um, died three years ago. And part of what happens is as soon as someone dies legally, they are no longer bound if they have any debts. Those debts are all gone. Why? Because the person is done. The person can't repay them. And Paul is saying here, that's ha- if you're in Christ, that's happened to you. You, you're, you have died to sin. Its ability to, to hold sway and power over you is gone. And then he said, that's not it though. He says something else. He said, and you've been made alive to God. Your heart of stone has been ripped out. A heart that beats for the things of God, not perfectly, but even in small mustard seed-like ways, has been placed in you. And, there, and more importantly, this is how God sees you. You've been, to use like a, 
You've been taken from the soil of sin and death and law and have to and try to. And you've been planted in the soil of God's grace where all the have to's become get to's. Where there's no more condemnation for you. Where all that's left for you is resurrection in the places where you've known death. That's all that's left for you. That Jesus promises by his healing power to bring resurrection where you've only known death. In every single part of you. The way you do money. The way you do sex. The way you do parents. The way you do friendship. The ways you're so selfish and make everything about you. Death, 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 death. And he's going to bring resurrection. Where your life is not about you. And you do all of those things in giving and healing and kingdom ways. But the problem is we forget it. Martin Lloyd-Jones used this great illustration that I love. He said this. He said, imagine you were a slave living in colonial America. And you had one of those masters who at every turn threatened to either starve you or beat you. And so you always did what they said when they said because you didn't want to be starved or beaten. And you had this slave master that was just awful to you. And then the Emancipation Proclamation. And you move off the plantation. You move into town. You find a job. You're a free man now. You find a wife. You have kids. And then imagine years later, you go into town, you're shopping for groceries, and from behind you, you hear your old master's voice. And he says, boy, you better do what I ask you to do or I'm going to whip you. And Lloyd-Jones says in that moment, can you imagine how much temptation would be there for you just to give in and do what the master said because you've known that your whole life and yet the truth about you is you are a free man your master no longer has any power over you not one else you can look him in the face and say no thank you and walk away and lloyd jones says that's the temptation of the christian life that though we've been freed fully finally forever we've been freed we are free by the gospel our temptation is still live in the desperate, slavish ways of sin and unto sin that we've known all our lives. And what did that slave need? What would we have, if we were that slave, what would we, what would we have needed? I think what we think we would, like, we would not have needed someone to say, here's how you get free again. We would have needed someone to say, remember who you are. You are no longer a slave, you are a son, you are free. Walk in that freeness. Walk in that newness of life. Just if, okay, so this is the idea Paul's getting for us. Just a couple of things, though, as we kind of close and, and, and think about what does this mean for us. Just a few things I want to throw at you. Here's number one. If you're not defined by your past, but you're defined by the past of Jesus, by Christ's past, here's what it means, number one. You can be open about your own past. You can be open in those places that maybe it's hard for you to be open because you're admitting things about yourself that you don't want people to know. But if you're defined not by your past but by Christ, you can begin talking about those things that are hard to talk about because they embarrass you or because they make you look like a less than person. Guess what? That's how you became a Christian. You are a less than person. (laughs) I'm sorry to hurt your self-esteem. But like you're so less than there was nothing you could do to save yourself. And you needed a savior. You needed Jesus. And if you're defined not by your past but by his, you can begin talking about your past in ways that are healing and hopeful. Number two, and this goes along with it, Christ does not invite you to escape or avoid your past. He invites you to face it knowing that he is right beside you and with you and for you. 
Henry now had this great quote where he says, sometimes we think Christianity is an invitation around or above our suffering, and the invitation of Jesus is always into his suffering and through our suffering. And the promise is not that we're not going to have to face it. The promise is not a way to escape it. The promise is he's going to be with us through it, and he's going to show us how our past have shaped us. I'll never forget being in a counseling session with, with a pastor, and him saying to me, Sammy, we're not going to talk about your past because I want you simply to focus on your present. And I thought, okay, fair point. I need to take responsibility for my choices. Absolutely. Also, my past shapes my present. The ways I've been sinned against absolutely shape the ways that I sin, and you too. And so for a lot of us, this is going to mean counseling. For a lot of us, this is going to mean talking with safe people about the things that we've gone through, the things that have been done to us. And then the last thing I want you to know is that change, in the, and this is what it means, change in the Christian life does not come primarily through effort. It comes through union. Don't mishear me. Effort is part of the Christian life. It will always take effort to open your Bible. It will always take effort to pray. It will always take effort to come here through the rain. Even I didn't want to come. Like, even I didn't want to come tonight. Can I say that? I can't. I just did. I mean, I love you guys. Also, I don't love the rain. Effort's always going to be part of the deal. But please, please, please understand that deep, lasting change in your life is not going to come through six new steps. It's not going to come through reading a new book. It's not going to come through listening to your favorite preacher's sermon. It's not going to come through going to this awesome conference or change comes through Jesus, through seeking him, through being loved and loving him. I love the way that Scott Saw says it. If you want to be like Christ, you must first be much, be much with Christ. And there's a sense that there's, I know that you come, like me, there's a place in your life where you feel like change is impossible, and I, in the next month, you're not going to hear me say, here's the six steps. I don't have them for you. Here's what I do have for you. Jesus. Go to Jesus and be much with him and be loved by him and be reminded of the truth of who you are in him and then begin to experience little by little the change he wants to bring about and that only he can bring about in your life. Let's pray together. Jesus, we long for that uh, from we long for that from you. We long for you to do that in us. We long for you to meet us in those places where we're cynical about changing. We long for you to meet us in those places where um, it seems impossible, and to remind us that we are yours and you are ours, and that nothing can take us away from the love that you have for us, and nothing can take us away from the faithfulness that you show us. And Lord, we, help us even tonight to rest in that and to be transformed by that. We pray these things for Christ. In your name. Amen.